Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us. Wherever you are today, I welcome you. Hey, we're going to jump right in. I want you to turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to hang out in chapter 8, a little bit of chapter 9 today. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be in chapters 8 through 11. It's going to be wild and fun. So get there right now. As you're turning there, can I just say, I miss you. I miss your faces. I miss seeing you, not just you, St. John people, but everybody in Halifax. And I even miss some of you people I've never met yet. I'm just so longing to be together. I know we all are. And I, I just have a new appreciation for when Paul would say, you know, I long to be with you. I know the feeling and I just, uh, I miss you. I miss having people to preach to like face to face. I got a few staff here, but it's just not quite the same. I brought the pulpit back today because I just I feel like preaching. So I'm just going to pretend that you're right here with me. But I know you're here with me in spirit. And I know that I'm there with you. And that more than that, the spirit of God is connecting us together today. And I'm excited for what he has for you and what he's given me to share with you today. The title of my message is this. It's seeing the dark in a whole new light. Seeing the dark in a whole new light. This past week, my five-year-old son, Alexander, he was, he's at this age right now where he is a ton of fun. He says the funniest things. He's got the wildest imagination. He likes to make things. And he's always bringing home these creations from daycare, especially. And so this past week, I was picking him up at school. And he was telling me, Dad, you know what? I'm going to make us a game for family night. I'm inventing a game. And we were so excited. He's like, I'm going to bring it home on Friday and we're going to play it for family night. And so sure enough, my little five-year-old, he spent his whole week and I see him come out of the daycare on Friday with this big stack of paper and just his whole preparation has all come together. And here we are at family night and we decide to play the game. And we asked him, Alex, what is your game called? And he said, the game is called Who's to Die? Say what? It's called Who's to die, he says. And so all of a sudden, my wife and I are thinking, is my child a sweetheart or a sociopath? I'm not totally sure. Show us the game. And so I filmed what happened next. And I want, I want you to check out the game that is sweeping the nation. Who's to die? Check it out. So you tell us, what are we setting up here, Alex? So. What is this game called? Who's to die? Who? What? Who's to die? Who's to die? Okay. And so you play. First, you gather around. Gather around. Yep. First, you gather around. Then. Yep. Put the car in the middle. Mm -hmm. Put the car. Is that, that's a car. And then. So. Could you give me the monkey? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Close your eyes. Okay. All right. Oh, the die. So how do you die? Oh, it's a dice. Mm -hmm. So, what, you 
Roll it. Okay, roll it. Roll that dice. Roll it. Roll it, Aiden. He's out. Oh, it's not about dying. It's about to die. All right. <laughs> okay. Ooh, oh, that oh. means you get to give away a point. Give away a point. Oh. <laughs> this one, you have to give away. So, you have to give away a point. So do I give it to someone? Uh, yeah, you have to give it to... To the Who's to die? I had it all wrong. Did you? I thought for a minute, like, is he creating this wild, dark game? But in actual fact, he meant dice, this dice that you roll and you get extra lives. In fact, even in his game, losers win. Didn't you like how he called his brother the loser? But the loser gets to win and gets extra lives. And I tell you this story because I want to point out something that it's possible that if you miss certain details, it can paint things in the wrong light. Moments before we knew that there was a dice that you roll and my son was calling a dice a die. I don't know if that's right or not, but he was calling it a die. I thought maybe this kid's got some sociopathic tendencies. We're going to have to get him some counseling and maybe hide our pets. But it turned out later that when we found out it's about a dice in a game and fun, okay, all's good. There's our little sweetheart. And the point is this, one detail can really shape or paint things in a certain light. It is easy to see things in the wrong light, isn't it? In fact, we've all had experiences where we've assessed a situation or assessed a person or assessed a circumstance in the wrong light. We've looked at it the wrong way. Maybe you judged somebody incorrectly. You misunderstood them and you, you didn't know a certain detail. And once you figured that out, it changed everything. I'll never forget the time where I created this big story to my then girlfriend, Melanie, on the day that I went out to buy her engagement ring. I kind of created this backstory so that I could buy myself some time. And I was way later than I said I'd going to be. And she was pretty upset with me. But if she'd known that little detail that I was out buying the, the, the ring that I was going to propose with, it might have painted things in a different light. Those details matter. Maybe you judged someone once wrongly and then you saw something about them and all of a sudden it put them in a different light. We know that is something that happens to all of us. It's all too human to see things in the wrong light, isn't it? To look at things and people and circumstances and situations the wrong way. And if you've lived any amount of time, you know how easy it is for you to have it all wrong. Have you ever had someone or something all wrong? You looked at it completely the opposite way. We all have done that. And here's the real hard part of all this, to add insult to injury, not only are we prone to seeing things in the wrong light, not only does that happen to us often, but it's near impossible for us to see things any other way. There's that old adage, perception is reality. We've heard that before. And it's true, isn't it? That as long as you see this this certain way, until you get another detail to help you see it in a different light, you, you, it's impossible for you not to see it along those lines. Have you ever struggled to unsee something? To not see something a certain way? Someone said something and it just completely colored and shaped the way you interpreted it? Or someone did something in the past and you forever associate them with that thing and you can't see them any other way? 
See, the truth is, unless we find a detail, unless we find a light or a piece of information that is greater or brighter than our current one, we will be helplessly stuck in our perspective. We generally can't make ourselves unsee things. We can only see differently when we see things in a new light, in a different light. And this ultimately is a little way for us to understand the purpose of the book of Revelation. Revelation ultimately is about showing us this world, showing us, more importantly, Jesus, God, in a new light that we weren't seeing before. We actually have been now for two years. It's our second year of a a journey through this last book of the Bible called Revelation, this this mysterious and yet we're finding unbelievably meaningful book. We've been journeying almost over, over, not over two years, we're in our second year of this study, and we're finding out a lot of things about this book, primarily that it really is true to its name, that it's not about primarily destruction, although that's in here, I'm going to cover that today. It's about unveiling. We've learned that the book of Revelation comes from the word apocalypsis, and apocalypsis doesn't mean destruction, it means unveiling, it means revelation. Daryl Johnson last week, who did such an incredible job, he said it like this, that the word apocalypsis really translates to breakthrough from hiddenness. And that's really what the book of Revelation is all about. This book, the purpose of this book is to give us, generally in the form of imagery, pictures and information that help us see things in a new light. It tries to help us see the present, our times right now, in light of the future, things that are to come, that if you knew these details were coming, you'd see the present in a whole new light. But not only that, it tells us about things that we can't see currently, the present realities that are hidden to our senses that Jesus wants to reveal to us that are actually at play and at work right now God wants us to see our current situation in light of the hidden realities all around. And so this book has been given to us so that we can see things we currently were not seeing and that we would see this reality that we're living in in a whole new light. And today we start into the section of the book where most people tend to sort of check out. It becomes very difficult. It becomes troubling even, confusing even. If if you don't know how we need to look at this, many people kind of jump off the bus right here. Today we get into the, the gnarly part, the part where it just gets wild beyond recognition. And what I want to do before we go any deeper over these next couple of weeks is I want to pause and I want to make sure that we have clarity on the dark parts, on these difficult things that we see as we move forward. And I think this is timely because, you know what, although we've addressed these themes so far in our journey through Revelation, it's important that we don't go any further before we make sure that we see this in the right light. And I think it's timely for a lot of us because we still are in an enduring time of difficulty as this pandemic rages on, as we still haven't been able to meet one another, to to lift one another up the way we want to. And so I think this is an important time. We just pump the brakes and we ask the questions about the dark. But let's just take a look for a minute at what I'm talking about. Let's read a little bit of Revelation chapter 8. Let's read it out loud. I'll read it out loud for you. We found out that there's a blessing associated with reading this book out loud. So let's do that today. I'm going to read a little bit and I'll just stop when I feel like we've got the picture. You ready? All right. Revelation chapter eight. Let's, let's, let's jump right in. It tells us this in Revelation chapter eight, that when he opened the seventh seal, he being Jesus, there was silence in heaven for about an hour. There was a holy hush. You ever been in some moment that was just, it was too holy to interrupt. That's what was happening. 
And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people, which we saw earlier in chapter six, on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. They're about to blast the trumpets. The first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth and a third of the earth was burned up. Whoa. A third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on the, a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. He's saying it's about to get worse. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet and I saw a star had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss and when he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss and out of the smoke, locusts came down from the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of the scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but not find it. They'll long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces, their hair was like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss whose name is in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek it's Apollyon, that is the destroyer. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. And all God's people said, whoa. Like that's some intense stuff. Like, like what sense do we make of that? And what, what is going on here? And what on earth is, how do we wrap our heads around this? I know if you're like me and you start reading that, you just, your head starts spinning and you're like, is this real? And here's the deal, yes. This is the word of the Lord. And you know, it's like, yeah, okay, well, it's imagery. Yeah, but it's imagery of horrific things. You say, well, it's not literal, but yeah, but it's speaking to some horrific, awful judgment. 
it's tough to, to actually process. And so here's the question I want to ask today is, how do we make sense of this? Because really, we're not going to be able to get what God wants to say to us in the coming weeks if we can't resolve this and see this in the correct light. And I believe there's actually a moment of opportunity for us to resolve something and actually get a grip on who God is through dealing with the, like the depth of the darkness that we find in Revelation and maybe even in your own life. Is how do we see this? How do we see God in light of all this dark? What do we do with God and the judgment? How do we reconcile this? Like, how do we do this? Like, is, is God playing who gets to die in real life? Is that what's going on here? Or are we seeing it wrong? Is God bipolar? Like, I think this is why people struggle with the Bible. Let me just keep it 100. Let me just be honest. Let me go first and just say, this is why we all struggle with the Bible is because you'll, you'll read the parts that it's like Jesus, you know, speaking life, healing people, you know, washing the disciples' feet. Like, I like that, Jesus. But then you'll read him say things like, I didn't come just to seek and save the lost. I also came to bring fire on the earth. You're like, wait, is this the same guy? Or you read the Old Testament and you'll read things about the blessing of Abraham and then you'll see as they're possessing the land that was promised Abraham, God saying, I want you to wipe out that people group. And you're wrapping your head around it. Let's just call it like it is. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around the judgment, the bloodshed, the difficulty. How do we make sense of this? And this is why so many people don't just struggle with the book of Revelation and they don't just struggle with the Bible itself. They struggle with their idea of God. This is why a lot of the time we just end up trying not to think about it. This is why there are so many atheists in the world. I don't think it's because people can't wrap their head around the fact that there'd be a designer to all this complexity. I think it's because people can't reconcile the fact that if there is a good God who is all powerful and he can do whatever he wants, why the heck all the hell? Why are we seeing all this stuff go on? It's really hard to make sense of God sometimes in light of the dark, isn't it? Isn't it? Or is it just me? I mean, it's just, just me. No, it's not. I know, I know you know what I'm talking about. In fact, this might hit really close to home for some of you. You might be in the darkest time in your life and you've been, you, there's been a subtle question inside of you. Maybe some of you, it's so tender, you don't even want to ask it because you know God is holy, but you've got questions. You're like, God, how am I supposed to understand you in light of the cancer diagnosis? How am, I supposed to, how am I supposed to reconcile your goodness with the fact that I lost my job and I don't have any prospects? And you're dealing with these questions. How do we see God in light of all the dark. And today what I want to do before we go any further is I want to give us a couple clues. I want to give us one detail that I believe God wants us to keep front and center in all the darkness, not just in Revelation, not just as we read the Bible, but also in our lives. One detail that changes everything. Remember how Alex, my son, I thought it was about one thing, but actually once I saw he brought out his little paper dice, I realized, oh, there's the dice. It's about something else. There's one detail that Jesus wants to keep central. God wants us to keep central that will change everything for us. I want to give us that one detail. And then I want to give just maybe two observations into how we can kind of wrap our head around the judgment as it rolls out. And then I'm going to speak just very, very quickly and specifically to what I think God is saying to us in this time. So here's the detail. The detail is this. Again, remember how important details are. You've had those experiences like my family did with Alex. You've had experiences where once you found out, oh, he's out buying a ring, all of a sudden it changed the scope of things. There has been presented to us 
one detail that is supposed to change the scope of how we interpret the darkness in this world, in this book, in these times. And that detail is this. Are you ready? Lean in. It's going to blow your mind. The detail is Jesus. The detail is Jesus. The, 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 the piece of information that we're supposed to take into the darkness is Jesus. Now, I know you're like, okay, that's too superficial. You can't just put a Jesus sticker on everything and say that it's okay. No, I'm not just saying slide over it and say, ah, oh, Jesus. I'm actually saying Jesus wants you to examine him before you examine the darkness. We get it twisted though, don't we? You've even heard it even in my question. This is the question we're all asking, but it's the wrong question. We're not supposed to ask, you know, God, how do I make sense of you in light of all this darkness? What Jesus invites us to do is to see him, which is the point of the book of Revelation. You remember? Remember what Daryl taught us last week? It's the apocalypsis of who? Say it in the chat. Of Jesus Christ. The point of this book is to reveal Jesus in and through and in the midst of all these dark things that are happening and happening in our world. And so the point is that we are supposed to see Jesus and then as we see him, he's supposed to illuminate everything else, to see Jesus and see all. Remember what the book taught us. The book told us that there is a lamb at the center of the universe who sits on the throne, that Jesus revealed himself to us not as a roaring lion, although he is, but as the lamb, as the one who conquered the powers of sin and death by laying his life down on our behalf. Now, why is that important? Why is this such an important detail? Because this is how Jesus revealed himself. Just stay with me for a minute. Don't miss the quintessential detail. When you're trying to make sense of dark times in your life, when you're trying to make sense of the, the game called life, if, if the game is who gets to die, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. Why is that important? Well, well here's why it's important. Because the cross of the Christ, the, what Jesus has done actually changes everything. That when you think about who God is first, as revealed through Jesus, through the lamb who suffered on our behalf, if you make that your starting point, it has a way of shaping and framing how you see the dark times. That Jesus wants you to consider him first before you consider the darkness. We get it twisted though, don't we? We say, God, how do I make sense of you in light of this darkness? But what God is asking you to do is to dare to trust him as he's revealed himself to you, that you need to make sense of the darkness according to his light, that he wants you to see the darkness according to a whole new light, according to what he's done. We're supposed to see the dark in our world in light of Jesus. That's the invitation of Revelation. It's to see all things in the light of Jesus. That's what he's inviting you to. The cross is the answer before the question. The cross, you work back from your questions. Like think about how the cross just disarms all of the questions. Like think about the things that are going through your mind when you go through hardship. You know, you might think, did I, did I do something wrong? Is God punishing me? Well, what if you start at the cross? If you start with the cross, you realize, no, God, God actually took on the punishment himself. So I'm not going through these dark times because God is punishing me. Or maybe you're thinking about, oh, you know what? My sins have caught up to me. Now God has let me live in my shame. Is that, was that what's going on? Is that why I'm going through these things? Well, if you consider the cross, you'd realize, actually, no, he took on your shame and vindicated you and has said, I've given you my glory. So it can't be about that. You know, maybe some of you have asked the question, maybe you're asking the question right now, is God angry with me? Is God angry with me? Did I do something to deserve this? 
What does the cross say? The cross says, actually, no, God, God hates sin, but he loves you so much that he would come across the universe and lay his life down and take on your penalty and your punishment so that you could be vindicated. He was executed. See, the cross disarms all of those accusations that we, we start to send back at God. It is the answer before the questions we send to him. And, and it's enough. And this is what he's inviting us to do. Jesus invites us in the pain and in the trial and in the judgment to start first by seeing his goodness. Seeing his goodness, it may not fully explain why things are happening the way they are. It might not explain the demon locust. It might not explain the way things are rolling out, but here's the deal. It explains who God is and it tells us what we ultimately need to know. I don't need to know why, I just need to know who and I need to know that he's good. And that if I can trust that he's good, then I trust that he's working this all out. I can trust him in the dark. And that's really what Paul was getting at. And Paul said in Romans 8, he says, look, some of you are being, some of you are being harmed, some of you are being persecuted, some of you are even dying for this. And what, what's our conclusion? Is it that God's mad? Is it that God is punishing us? Is it that God has abandoned us? No, how can we say that when, when God, look at this, what should we say in response to these things? Whatever these things are for them, they had real things going on in Rome at that time. Whatever your things are, here's what Paul would say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You start with that in mind. You know, I know some of you are in the darkest times of your life. This is still true. Look what Jesus said. He said, he said in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Did, did he say there won't be any darkness? No, in fact, he said there will be darkness. He just said you won't walk in it because my light is greater than the darkness. You will go through darkness and see the darkness in a whole new light. That's what he's talking about. Jesus is the light by which we see the dark. And he is the light by which we need to see the dark in Revelation. The lamb can be trusted in the dark. The lamb can be trusted in the dark. Do not examine the lamb. Do not examine God in the light of the dark. Examine the dark in the light of your God. So important that we do that. It's so important that we get this in this hour right now so we don't start asking the wrong questions to God, so we don't miss the moment that God has us in. He's calling us. We're called to look at the dark in the light of the sun, right? Like tweet that. That's tweetable. It rhymes. Look, look, at, the, look at the light. Look at the dark in light of the sun, S-O-N. Look at the light in the, and look at the dark in light of the sun. Dare to start with the detail of God's goodness. Start with his goodness. Here's a couple of things. So if we can do that, if we can start with his goodness, how, how can we start to think a little bit about this judgment? How can we start thinking about the difficulty that we see in Revelation? And it is unavoidable. I mean, it is gnarly what, what takes place. I read some of it. Well, you, you should go on and read, read, read through chapter 11 this week. There's your homework. But how are we supposed to make sense of that? Or how are you supposed to make sense of the things that are indeed happening? Like Jesus' goodness notwithstanding, you're still going through cancer. You're still going through your job loss. You're still going through these things. How do we make some sense of it? Well, we don't need all the answers and we don't have all the answers and we have the ones that we ultimately need. But what are, what are some stabs at how we look at the judgment based on God's goodness? Let's, let's have a couple ideas. First is this. God is good. 
We've we've established that, haven't we? We've established that. Maybe say it in the chat. We know that God is good. Therefore, here's a couple ideas. And we see this in the book of Revelation. When we think about God's judgment and we see God's judgment revealed in Revelation, the first thing we find out is that God's judgment is progressive. It doesn't happen all at once. And it leads onto something. God does not use pain to punish our bad behavior. He uses it to perfect our character and call us to himself. That's why pain happens, according to the book of Revelation, according to all the Gospels. That's ultimately what's going on. And you can see it in the book of Revelation. Revelation shows us how God's judgment actually works under something, how it's progressive. First, it's progressive in that it's partial. It doesn't happen all at once. Did you notice as I was reading or did, you, did I just lose you at demon locusts? You're like, I just can't get the, the, the picture of the lion teeth and the women's hair. And I just, I missed that. Well, you might've missed the fact that over and over, we were seeing that there were limits on the wrath. That God doesn't pour it out all at once. In fact, there's a sequence. There are waves. There's levels to this stuff. First, we saw the seven seals unfold. Then you see the seven trumpets come. Then we're going to see the seven bowls happen. And then there's the battle that unfolds and the beast is defeated. There's levels and layers to this. Why? Because God's purpose is not just to smash creation. His purpose is to redeem anything and everything that will allow itself to be redeemed. And so inch by inch, pressure by pressure, he's pushing his creation to repent, to turn. And this is what you see. And you see the limitations that he puts on on his people. You know, five months, only for five months, only a third. Don't touch the seal. Did you notice that part? You cannot touch the seal, he said. We find judgment comes in waves. It comes in contractions. And we see this. In the book of Revelation, we find out that that God has a purpose and it happens partially. We find out as well that it's progressive in that it's purposed. Notice that there are trumpets. Now, do you know what trumpets are for? They're not just for jazz, they're not just for music. And in fact, in the Bible, primarily trumpets are for warnings. They're an invitation. They're calling you to respond. They're alerts. Why would he be blowing trumpets? If God just wanted to smash people, he wouldn't have given any warning. But over and over and over, he's calling out, come on, come on, come on, come back to me. It's not too late, but it's going to be. You need to hurry up, repent and turn. And that is the progression you see over and over. We're going to look next week even at what makes people turn. It's it's very exciting, but you need to see this, that at every stage, God God is giving every moment and every opportunity for people to repent. He doesn't want to lose anybody, which makes him very patient. Very patient. Like, think about the fact that, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended. When, when Paul wrote, you know, we're more than conquerors, you know, I think Paul in his lifetime thought for sure God would come and do this, like, in its fullness. That's why Peter wrote in, in 2 Peter, you could go check it out, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, look, don't think that God is being slow to return. He's being patient. Why? Because he wants anyone and everyone. He wants to wait till the utter last moment because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He is patient to the bitter end. Patient to the point that the people of God want him to hurry up. Like go back to Revelation chapter six. You see the saints saying, when are you going to finally put things to right? When are you going to avenge our blood? When are you going to bring justice on the earth? And he's like, we're going to wait a little longer. There might be one more. 
I, I was thinking about this past winter, my family, we got to go, not this, like last winter, winter January 2020, we got to go to Disney in Florida and we went to Busch Gardens and at Busch Gardens, there's a train that goes around the whole park. And so we decided to go on the train and me being punctual and having my stuff together, I decided, okay, the train shows up at this time. We'll be there five minutes early and we will board the, we'll promptly board the train when you're supposed to board the train. And we did. And I got on the train and then we sat there for 20 minutes while people who couldn't plan and couldn't take responsibility decided if they're going to get on the train or not. And the conductor kept saying, all aboard. And they'd honk the horn. And people would be like, oh, yeah, there's a train. They come. And like the guy just kept waiting and waiting for all these families to come on. I was getting annoyed, mildly annoyed. I was like, look, if they wanted to be on the train, they should have got here on time. This is bothering me. But that conductor was just waiting till the bitter end, just waiting for one more family to come on. I was thinking about that when I got thinking about Revelation. You see this picture of like a, a tension that God is managing, that he wants to come in and deliver us. He wants to save. He wants to restore. And yet he doesn't want to lose anyone. And this is what you see as this rolls out. The question we must ask in trials is this, like, like what could God be saying to you in your trials? What could he be saying to you in your difficulty? Like that's the big question I think we need to ask. I, I thought about this quote that's so profound. C.S. Lewis once said, pain insists on being attended to it. It's a trumpet call. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, there's a, there's, a, there's a sound that the pain makes. It's calling us to something. God is awakening us. And you need to ask the question, you know what? Maybe, what, maybe you're going through something difficulty. The first question is not, God, why are you allowing this? The first question we should ask is, God, what are you saying? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to see? Questions worth asking ourselves in trials. What is God currently not letting happen to me? That's important. Let's not get myopic on our suffering. Doesn't, doesn't that happen? Don't we just start to think about, God, you don't do anything for me. Look at me, I'm going through this. I've got this illness. I've got this difficulty. I just need a breakthrough. And we lose sight of the infinitude of things that God is probably simultaneously holding back from us. How many things, you ever think about this? How many things has God spared you from? Ever think about that recently? Like, I know we think about the things that we're going through and all the difficulties. I mean, I've had more pity parties for me over the last 12 months about things that I've had to deal with and all this stuff. And every so often, God will be like, yeah, imagine the things that I didn't let happen. Sometimes that's healthy to do, isn't it? To remind yourself that God's judgment, God's, God's movement in our lives is progressive. He knows what we, what we need and what we don't need. He knows what we can handle and what we can't. And he guides and allows and disallows according to his wisdom and his goodness. That's what he's doing. And we need to ask the question, what trumpet is God sounding for my response? That's the first thing I think we need to understand. The second thing is this, that at, the, at, the, at a certain time, it is no longer kind of the conductor to make everybody wait. And there comes a moment where he has to say, finally, all aboard, and he pulls off and does what he said he was going to do. And there's coming a moment, and you're going to see it as we go through the book of Revelation. You're going to see there's a moment where God ultimately does pour out the seventh bowl, and it's done. That there's no more opportunity for people to repent. There's no more opportunity for people to come. And the thing I think that Revelation wants us to understand is that is the best day ever. As much as it's a difficult thing to wrap our heads around, it's a beautiful thing. Here's the second, the second thing I want to like say along these lines is this, that if God is good, then his judgment is final and good. Look, 
according to God's love, he has to exact justice. According to God's love, there comes a moment where he has to say, that sin stuff, that stuff that robs, the devil, death, decay, disease, selfishness, dysfunction, because he is good, there will come a moment where he will say, no more, not here. He will say, if you're going to do that, this train is leaving. You can do that there. And that's what we find in the book of Revelation. There comes a moment where he, he places all that's dysfunctional, all the hell, all the devil, the powers, the principalities, people who are opposed to his will. He places them in their own place to do their own thing. And he pulls on. His goodness demands justice. His goodness demands the riddance of sin. And you see in the book of Revelation the people of God and the angels and all of creation finally celebrating. The Bible says in Romans, it says that creation groans. It groans in eager expectation. It wants God to come in his fullness. It wants the kingdom to come in his fullness. And that's the picture we get in the book of Revelation. If you get to chapter 11, and we'll probably get there before, before the end, but I want to give us a heads up. Here, here's how they respond after the seventh trumpet. Look what happens. It says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdom of the world world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. There's a party in heaven after the seventh trumpet. They're celebrating because finally God has exacted his rule and his reign in its fullness on the earth. No more sin, no more death, no more sorrow. And we find in chapter 12, he begins to get rid of the powers and principalities of darkness in their entirety. And it's incredible to watch. But here's the thing. The people of God should actually want him to get rid of sin. The people of God should actually want him to come in his fullness. And if there is something inside of our lives that gets in the way of the coming kingdom, we should want to present ourselves to him, not run from him. We should want to turn to him and say, God, like pray the prayer of David that says, search me, O God, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to live. God wants us to live. So we turn to him and we allow him to change us from the inside out. It might be painful. This might be gnarly. It might be dark, but God is good. And he will use it for life and that we would have life and have it to the full. That's what's going on in the book of Revelation. And that's what we need to see. Daryl Johnson says it the best. He's much smarter than I am. And check out his commentary if you get the chance. But he says this, it's important to observe that the trumpets, the warnings, judgments, are sounded for a particular slice of humanity. John speaks to, of those who dwell on the earth. He uses the same phrase in, six, in chapter 6, verse 10, in the cry of the martyrs that those who dwell on the earth should be judged. It refers to those who stand in the way of the coming of God's kingdom. It refers to those in rebellion against God and his ways. The phrase, those who dwell on the earth, refers to those who are at home in this present world order of power and violence. People of earthbound vision, such a great statement, trusting in earthly security, unable to look beyond the things that are seen and temporal. The warning judgments are directed toward those who oppose the lamb and his ways, toward those who violate God's will and thus knowingly or unknowingly destroy God's creation. The judgments of the seven trumpets are not against all. Indeed, in the fifth trumpet, the locusts from the bottomless pit are told not to hurt those who have the seal of God on their foreheads, 
Just as the plagues which came on Egypt to warn Pharaoh did not come on the Israelites, the judgments of the seven trumpets are directed against the unrepentant opposers of the inbreaking kingdom of God. This explains why the seventh trumpet, the hallelujah chorus, is experienced as a woe. The voices of heaven shout, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. How is that a woe? It is only a woe if you do not want the kingdom of God to come. And that's how we approach the darkness. It's only a woe if we do not want the kingdom of God to come. That's how we see the judgment. It's only worrisome if we do not want God to come. But the picture we get at the end of the book of Revelation is this picture where the people of God, it says the spirit and the bride say, come, we got nothing to hide. We got nothing to lose. We want you to come into every part of us because we know that you are life, that you are love, that you are purpose. Come, 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 Lord Jesus. See, the trials and the troubles and the darkness and the judgment should increase our love for Jesus and our longing for him to come home, to come back. Bring on the demon locusts. Let him go. If that gets us closer to that moment where the bride and the groom, where heaven and earth collide in fullness, we should say, come, come. Here's two quick applications I want to look at, and I'm almost done. I'm going to pray in just a second. In light of all this, in light of the reality of God's goodness, in light of the reality of this present darkness, what are some things we need to consider? Well, the first is this. If I'm going to wrap it all, I know we've covered a bunch of stuff today, but I needed to do this before we go any further. Let me just say that, the, that this, God's light in this present dark, here's the first thing I want you to see. It's time, and I believe this is prophetic. This is something I was just out for a walk and the Lord just dropped this into my spirit. And this is the main idea I was trying to share today. It's time for us, it's time for you to shine the light of God's goodness on your current or coming darkness. What are you going through? Like, what are you facing? What are you walking through? What are you going through? You need to shine the light of God's goodness on it. Put it in the right perspective. Get the detail of the cross. You are not a victim. God is not vindictive. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to develop you. He's not trying to hold you back. He's trying to set you free. He's not trying to kill you. He's trying to bring you to eternal life, real life, life that goes beyond this mortal flesh, life that, that lasts forever. He's not trying to make you go through hell. He's getting you heaven ready. That's what he's doing. So I know, I know there's so many of you that are going through deep darkness right now. And my invitation, I think God's invitation is, yeah, but, but, but see the light of Jesus in it. God is good. And he's good in the dark. You'll never walk in darkness, Jesus said. It might not make sense what you're going through. You may never know exactly why. But here's what I know to be true. You might, you might be like in that moment, I was thinking about this, that moment where, Mary and Martha are weeping about Lazarus and Jesus knows full well I'm going to raise him to life and that he, this has happened so that God will be glorified and yet Jesus weeps with him. I don't think God makes light of your pain. I don't think he's flipping about it. I think he hates death. I think he hates pain. I think he hates it, but he will use it if it means we will come to ultimate and eternal life. And I believe, like the story of Lazarus, your story will end in life and will end in glory. 
Here's the second thing, and this is, this is really pressing on me, and I want to just speak this over us before we, we're done today. God's light in this present dark, what do, we need to, what do we need to know? It's this, that it's time for us, it's time for you to shine the light of God's goodness in or for other people's dark times. You know, why are you going through the difficulty you're in? Like, why are you going through cancer? Why are you going through COVID? Why are you going through job loss? I don't know all the details why. I don't know the mind of God. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are, are higher than ours. I don't know all the reasons why, but I do know one, and that is this, to shine. Like God has you going through dark times. God has placed us, his church, in a dark season. And it is not for us to lose heart. It is for us to light up this world that he's placed us in with the hope and the good news and the truth of Jesus, for us to be a beacon that calls people to life. And I wonder if right now, you know, during this COVID era, I wonder, and I found it in my own life, so I wonder if you found this too. There have been times where I've been tempted to wait it out. You know, we'll get back into the business of the gospel. We'll get back into the business of bringing the kingdom once this is all said and done. What a shame that would be that in the darkest moment, in the best opportunity that many of us have ever had in our lifetime, we shrunk back. This is the time to light it up. This is the time for us to be going out there and, and showing the love of Jesus to those around us. That's what we need to be doing. You know, this past week, I was thinking about, you know, the first 300 years of Christian history the church flourished because we historically have been people who when the world was running away from the dark, we were running in. Like the first 300 years when the governments and when the Romans and when the powers and when wealth was all leaving cities because of plagues, you know who wasn't? Christians. Christians were running in. Christians were setting up hospitals. Christians were going into the dark places. Why? We aren't scared of the dark. We've got the light. Now, I was, I just, I've been catching in my own mind, myself agreeing with things that as a Christian, I should never agree with. And I've got to check myself. And I want to, I want to just throw this out there. Like, have you been nodding when you're hearing people or seeing people share the, the state, like that, that statement we're hearing so often? You know what? Just make sure you stay safe. Stay safe out there. Protect yourself. Yeah, that's great wisdom for the world, but I don't see this world in that light. I see this world in a totally different light. And my job is not to stay safe. My job is to lay my life down like Jesus laid his life down for me, to run into places where people are running out, to show the good news of Jesus, where people are, are exiting. That's what we're called to do. And I wonder if this isn't a time where the church is shrinking back, where we need to rise up. We need to get on the phone and call people, tell them, hey, it's going to be okay, and here's why. We need to be the ones that are out there, you know, for every, you know, keyboard warrior out there that's putting all the crazy, yeah, shut the schools down, all the stuff that's going. Let's, let's just be the ones that speak joy. Be the ones that speak life. Be the ones that speak positivity. Be the ones that speak hope that's actually grounded in real life in Jesus. You know, I heard, I heard one, of the, one of the public addresses a week or so ago where I, I, I started to nod and I was like, you know what? No, I'm not nodding at that. Where the, the, the official was saying, you know, speaking about New Brunswick, I know Nova Scotia is like COVID free, whatever. But in New Brunswick, it's been a little bad. And then they were saying, you know what? Our neighbors, their houses are on fire. Quebec's going crazy and Maine's going crazy. And, and you know, the official said, what do you do when your neighbor's houses are on fire? You, you protect yours. And I got thinking, yeah, that sounds right. No, wait, not a Christian. 
If my neighbor's house is on fire, me as a Christian, the first thing I should not be thinking about is, oh, I hope my house doesn't catch on fire. The first thing I should be thinking about is, I hope they're okay. I should run over there. Who cares if they got COVID? I should go make sure they're okay. I should be hucking water on their roof. I should be calling 911 for them. We're the people that need to run into those situations. We've got the light. I'm saying all that to say, let's not miss our moment. Let's not cower back. Let's not wallow in self-pity about the fact that we can't gather the way we want or we can't have church the way we want or we can't worship the way we want. When God is looking at us saying, look, I've got you perfectly positioned to shine the light. There's never been a better time. More people have never been more despaired and you've got the hope and you've got the truth. It is time to speak it out. It's time to serve people like Jesus served people, to love people like Jesus loved people, to to be the healing hands. Maybe this is the time where we're gonna see miracles We pray for people and we see crazy things happen, but we got to be willing to go there and to go into those dark places. And I just felt that it is a time, it's time for us to shine in this world a whole new light and to start changing the narrative and start absolutely walking the way Jesus calls us to walk. Here's a few questions I'm going to pray. Question number one, is it possible that God is calling you to something? Like if there's, if there's pain in your life, if there's difficulty in your life, if you're going through a season of trial and tribulation, which most of us are, the first thing we need to ask isn't why. The first thing we need to ask is, God, what are you saying to me? What are you trying to work out? What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to, what are you trying to change in me? Is God calling you to something? Is he calling you from something? What is he saying in the dark, through the dark? Second thing, how does the light of God's goodness change how I see my dark times? Have you preached the gospel to yourself yet today? Have you reminded yourself about the good news that Christ is King, that these sufferings are temporary, that that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, and these light momentary afflictions are preparing for us a glory that far outweighs them. Have you reminded yourself of the gospel lately? We need to learn how to preach to ourselves. I can't be there for you to preach the gospel. You know what? God did not want to make me or pastors the only evangelists. We need to learn how to preach the gospel. We need to start with ourselves. Have you you reminded yourself of the light that you have in Jesus? Finally, this. What ways can I shine the light of God's goodness? Can I sound sound the trumpet of God's invitation for others? What can you do? It doesn't have to be profound. It's small, simple acts of kindness and care when everybody else is just caring about themselves. How much would that speak when everybody is saying the most important thing for you to do is care about you, that you care more about others than yourself? I think that would absolutely light up this region with the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are good all the time. Even, Lord, I I know right now there are people in our church who are going through horrible difficulty. I know even in my own family, just confusing and troubling situations. But God, let us not get it twisted and let us not lose heart or lose hope or lose sight of the fact that Jesus, you came. Jesus, you lived. Jesus, you showed us that you're king. Jesus, you died for us. Jesus, you rose again in victory and you hold the keys to death and hell. And that, Lord, we are squarely in the middle of your heart and your plans and your hand. 
and that God, everything else, Lord, we can trust. You are working for our good. And so we say, Lord, these dark times aren't good, but you are, and you are purposing them for our goodness as individuals, as families, as a, as a local church at King's Church and in your church, Lord, and in this world, God, we just say this season you have appointed and you are using it for your glory. And God, we just say, hear the bride say, come. We want you to come in your fullness. Come more, Lord. We want you to have your way to flush out sin, sickness, death, and dark, darkness and the devil. We want you to come here. Have your way in us. Move among us, Lord. We want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.